This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Kyle and I have the distinct pleasure of having Mr. Tony Alessandra on the show today. Tony, what's up, man? Hey, good morning. Welcome from Southern California. It's nice to be with you guys. Yeah, no, we're glad to have you, man. I mean, you're kind of like a legend, right? 30 years in the industry. Holy cow. <laughs> hey, and, and learning something new every day, and that's how we got together. I think that I think that's the secret to all of it, man. I was just on a... Um, I was just on a podcast with Josh Lipstone. He started one called Explain This Book to Me, which you basically somebody he reads a book and then he interviews the author over several segments. And so I was the lucky one that hmm. he chose for today to dive deeper into some of the stuff that I talk about in my book. But that's one of the things that I said, you know, I think that any of us, when we get to a point where we don't think there's anything else to learn or that we can't get any better, we're just going to get run over by the bus because there's nobody out there in our game that can't do something better today than they did yesterday, but not as good as tomorrow. Yeah. Amen to that. You know, I, I, um, wake up every morning being my name being Tony, everyone teased me, Tony, the tiger with the energy I have. And so, um, I, I profess to eat failure flakes for breakfast. I can't fail fast enough and fail forward. There you go. That's a good one. I hadn't heard that before. Well, listen, man, I you, look, you are not going to be at a loss for content in this conversation, but I want you to set the foundation for everybody. Let them know a little bit about how you got into the insurance industry, sort of, you know, my good friend, Scott Howell on the insurance guys would say, hop in my DeLorean and take me back. I, I want I want you to get us up to where you are today, because I mean, tell, tell us how you got into insurance, kind of what you're doing now and, and where you came from. Okay, sure. So my dad started the agency 53 years ago and I was 18 years old, just graduated from high school. And I don't know about some of you guys, my folks didn't have a vision of me going to college. It wasn't even a conversation. So I was bouncing around in the hospitality restaurant industry and I was thinking, what is my, my life going to look like? My dad won four trips to Europe on one of our insurance companies and he decided to take my brother and I along. And while we we're there, I'm looking around in the breakfast room to all these insurance agents all over the United States. And here he and I are 18 years old and we're looking at our future saying, we're, what are we going to do? What, what does it look like if these guys from South Dakota or Okie Muskogee, Kansas, they won trips and they're in their 20s? If they can do it, so can we. We're in a target rich environment. We're in Orange County, California, for crying out loud. So that's the beginning of their impetus when we're traveling around Vienna, Austria, and Munich, Germany. We thought, this is pretty cool life. I think we ought to join. We got to jump in. So we dove in. My dad was resistant to even having us in the office. We shared an office together, and we both started our insurance careers doing personal lines insurance. Um, fast forward 38 years. I, I What I learned from my dad in, in buying his agency 23 years ago from him was he had a, a strategy to develop new business like no other. And it was 
strictly strategic alliance marketing since the 60s before strategic alliance marketing was even popular. And I, I saw clearly at that particular time that if I was going to move the needle, I needed to expand those alliances. He had about eight to 10 um, direct riders that he partnered with. And I knew to pay his retirement bill, I needed to expand that. And I expanded up to 93 um, direct agents in LA, Orange County, and San Diego. So that's how we developed our business and, and created a flywheel, if you will, of success, um, which got us to where we're at today. But what got us here today isn't going to get us to where we want to go tomorrow. So as a result of that, I was doing some consulting with, with a mutual friend of ours, David, and, and he recommended I talk to you and take a look at what you're doing. And I, I said, wow, this is this is exciting. I need uh, a new plan. Uh, if I don't know about you guys. A pro I, I do really well with processes. So <laughs> sticking with the process, I thought, man, I got I to gotta learn what David's doing. Listen, man, I have to have a process because I found out real quick in my downtime between running a grocery store and running a super target when I decided it was a great idea to start a landscape company that it's a whole lot easier executing a process that's already developed than it is having to be responsible for figuring it out, developing the process, and then executing it. I grew my business record time. I was awesome on the sales front. I was horrible in the management, horrible in the accounts receivable collection. I basically gave the business away to a guy that was my number one guy. He was a foreman, still runs it today profitably. And I didn't even take anything for it. I just said, pay the debt down. You can have the business. I don't want anything for the revenue. I just want out. I'm, I'm out of here. What was your accounts receivable department like? I'm picturing the Sopranos. My accounts receivable was horrible because people <laughs> in Birmingham, Alabama at that time, you either had old money or you had people who wanted to be old money and weren't. And I'll never forget this, but I had a guy that was an otologist, which is an ear surgeon that worked, um, you know, he, he was in one of the neighborhoods, the, the more posh neighborhoods in Birmingham. And he owed me for three months worth of service, right? So down here, I, number one, I can't even believe people can put food on the table for how cheap the yard cutting rates and all of that stuff is. Up there, a yard that would get $120, $140 a month down here would get 400 So wow. this guy owed me I, over $1,000. I went to his house. He's like, yeah, I figured you were going to come by and see me at some point. I'm like, dude, you, know, you owe me $1,200. Bucks. He's you like, figured? He's like, he's like, come on in and sit down. And so I walk in, I look left, and I look right, and I'm like, where? He had no furniture in the house anywhere. So I basically like – sat down on the floor and he's like, look, man, he goes, I know I owe you for a couple of months. I just, I don't know what to do. I'm like, I can't keep cutting your grass for free, man. Like this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and he said, well, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I got up and took 200 bucks out of my wallet, handed it to him and said, it's time you go buy a push mower and do it yourself. And I left. And that was it for me, man. I, what I realized was I was really good at selling the deal but if any, if I ever had to be the bad guy, I couldn't be the bad guy too. I never had an issue with it in the grocery business, but I, it was just something weird that clicked with me when I was responsible for everything that I couldn't do both. So, you know, unfortunately, sometimes you got to be the bad guy, you know, and I, I don't have any problem being the bad guy now. I learned my lesson with that. You know, I, I don't, I'll go crack kneecaps, skulls, whatever I have to, to collect money. And, you know, some people retreat to foreign my money, man. Yeah. Some people retreat to foreign Eastern Bloc European countries to get away from me when they owe me one hundred thousand dollars. And if you're listening, I will find you. Uh, but, Straight up. you know, it's it's crazy, man. I, but I agree with you, Tony. You have to have a process. And I mean, I do want to get into kind of what you guys, you know, that network that you've built out, because I'm really intrigued by that. I, I don't think a lot of agents take advantage of those types of relationships like they should. But I also have a fundamental belief, belief that you have to have a way to get organic business too. Like to me, the real value in any agency, I'm, I'm not as far advanced in my career in terms of timeline as what you are, but we're probably 
in the same place to a certain degree in terms of I don't have to cold call anymore. Like I don't, I'm not telling you I don't want to, or I don't like to, I'm telling you I don't have to because my network is well enough established that I constantly have people feeding me business. I like to cold call. I like to go out and generate new business, but I also like to support producers and help them get business closed. So I don't really have time to do it like I used to, but in order to grow any agency, I think you have to, again, it goes back to, I say it all the time. You got to be a five tool player. You, You have to have the inbound. You have to have, you know, the digital, you have to have the direct mail piece. You have to have the phones and you have to have somebody that's feeding, you're feeding you leads as part of a network that you've developed. And that's really the the part that I've had the most fun with is just developing that process to drive organic business because it's something that a lot of other people don't focus on. They're more interested in the easy way out is how I would put it. You know, not that building your network is easy or having the patience to wait for that to develop and then refer business is easy, but it's not going out and knocking on 30 doors a day. Right. And you're right. It's not easy to build out those alliance networks because it takes a lot of time to build up a reputation. And as you said, um, those five tools, I, I feel we were really, really sharp on the strategic alliances. And I was interested in diversifying and creating a more balanced approach. And so I, I know for, for a fact, we really don't develop any business digitally. And direct mail isn't something that we've had to do. And you're right, it's, it's easy to sit back and leverage your your network. So in looking at what we did, I thought, well, we could leverage that and get more of the same and we're going to get the same results. And and then the the direct writer strategy limits us to the ability to cross sell. And as we've heard you say on many of your podcasts, it's all about driving those relationships deep, creating value, cross selling, yada, yada, yada. You, You can't do that when you're a value-added partner to another insurance professional that writes the other lines of business. So since we were limited back in the late 90s, I thought, well, we got to change the game a little bit. And we pivoted to not abandon those guys, but augment them by partnering with payroll companies. Before ADP even had an agency, I was partnering with those guys, writing tough work comp cases that they couldn't write. Because I was used to helping other people handle the crap, and they kept the cream. Guil- guilty so is charged. Crap. Guilty is charged. We do the same thing. I mean, if oh, you yeah. if you were I get to look, tons of business. Yeah, Kyle is like the payroll king of, of working with <laughs> payroll companies and in, in getting. Don't ever call me the payroll king again. I am now going to do that, and I'm changing the artwork <laughs> on this podcast to have you no, in a not. king's outfit with a scepter. Yeah, I can see it. I see the crown. He's right there with that beard. He, he's going to look too much like the Burger King guy. <laughs> that yeah, beard. that's true. But listen, yeah, hey, that's sick. So, yeah, so listen, Tony, I know what you're talking about when you talk about strategic alliances, but for everybody who has no clue what you're even talking about, break that down and help them understand who these people are, number one, then I want to talk to you a little bit about strategy in terms of how you how you build those relationships because I know as well as as you do there's got to be some level of trust there you know it, with on both sides for all practical purposes but you know I want you to talk a little bit about how you navigate that piece as well so explain what you're talking about when you say strategic you know strategic alliances because my goodness man i knew you had a lot i didn't know you had like 90 some yeah that's crazy all right so so in in the spirit of uh what we were just sharing with kyle i'll try to give you the keys to the kingdom without spilling all the beans in the law in the lobby here (laughs) so what we'll call for the lack of a better word our all-state strategy um because that happens to be a direct writer, and, and this strategy works in all states. So that's where I, I'll come up with that without sharing exactly who it is that we're working directly with. But as I, I share with you earlier, I've learned a lot from that. The failure there is I, and the takeaway and the learning lesson was I'm limited to only the stuff that they're feeding me and the stuff that they don't write. So in order to get where I wanted to go back in the late 90s, as I was uh, about to share, we decided we're going to diversify and add in the payroll companies and financial advisors. 
I say financial advisors because I think that's a better well to, to, to fish from. I think there's more opportunity there. And why I say financial advisors, and we all have one, and there are big companies out there, and I'll share a few with you that we work with that I think would be helpful, is now we're taking up our value by doing a risk management assessment for their clients. We make them look like heroes by providing the proper protection to protect the assets that they're investing for their client from future potential claims. And at the same time, we can harvest if for whatever reason we found that they had too much insurance in one area, we can harvest cash for the financial advisor to reinvest. So we're trying, I'm constantly trying to execute a win-win strategy, not only with my internal team, my sales team, but also with my real referral partners. And I see that they're really my client and their clients. I'm here to serve them. If I make them look like a hero in the eyes of their client, I tell their clients all the time, you know what? Joe doesn't get anything referring you my way. It would I would walk over broken Coke bottles and hot coals if you do, do me a, a favor. And they always say, what's that? If I do a great job for you, please just go back to Joe and say, thank you very much for referring me to Insurance Solutions. They took really good care of me because that is the key. And, and I, I call that the priming the pump strategy. You can tell them all day long, thank you. But when their client goes back and says, thank you, that means the world. And then before you know it, the flywheel starts happening. And then they know guys that they're working with that maybe work work with somebody else and they did a bad job. And before you know it, you have 93 people referring you because you did a great job. You never bite the hand that feeds them. You always edify that relationship and you make sure that the person that's being referred goes back to the referral partner to thank them. And of course, we thank them profusely by going over and, and taking them to lunch and doing treats. And as a result of COVID, I started thinking, what well, what else can I do to expand this network? And you said something on one of your podcasts that really struck me and I, I loved it. As I was sharing with you some challenges I have with expanding my business and finding new new agents, you shared with me your vendor strategy. And that's very similar to what we're doing here. And I, I, I added that because I just loved it. I thought that's that's ingenious. Our clients, if we're going to go and do, if we know we're really, really good at, for the sake of this example, glass manufacturers, I'm thinking of one of my clients. I should go to him and say, hey, where are you buying your equipment? Who are all your suppliers? I can, I, I obviously demonstrated I'm doing a great job in that vertical for the last 10 years for him. I could do more of it. So I just need to find those verticals as we build out our Parthenon strategy. So part of this whole COVID thing got me thinking about and and you got, like you were saying, you're, you're uncomfortable or we're bad at accounts receivable. One thing I, I learned quickly in engaging with Killing Commercial is I'm, I'm bad at writing a business plan. <laughs> I've got, but I'm telling you, I suck at writing a business plan, but it got me thinking about, oh my gosh, if I'm going to go after something I'm not doing right now, I got to really think deeply. So it got me thinking about, well, who else? I need to go after essential businesses. So that, that would be one of the Parthenons. I like the vendor strategy, going after the vendors of our existing clients and build your strength and pick clients that are essential. Duh, no brainer, right? So I think the Parthenon strategy, incorporating that with your strategic alliances, your payroll companies, and pick seven seven verticals. I, I don't know if you feel that's too many, but I think that's just, and why a Parthenon, you have all those pillars holding the roof up. So if one goes sideways, like construction. Right now it's rocking and rolling and it seems to be essential proof. But I've seen writing contractors in the early 90s where, man, the the cycle, you know, and, and the tide went out on them and we were left collecting receivables, pounding on their doors, saying, hey, show me the money. And I think that you need to have multiple verticals, mul- mul- multiple 
alliances so that one pivots, you can go to another. The financial advisors was good, especially for the personal lines department, but also for the commercial lines, because many of the guys that have big money also own businesses. So the financial advisors really appreciate it when you come in and do a risk analysis for them and help them determine where their fatal coverage gaps may be. And I, I found it a lot easier to fish in those ponds than to go out there and beat the street and try to prove up new business organically. That that has been a struggle. And that's one of the reasons why I, I joined the Killing Commercial. It's like, you know, teach me a new way to fish here. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. I think it's interesting. I like financial planners as a referral source a lot. I specifically like financial planners who do not sell any type of products better than, and I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with the Raymond James, the Northwestern Mutual, all of these guys out there that do that. But my best experiences have been the guys that literally have no skin in the game whatsoever. They're money, money managers. They review buy, sell agreements. They look at, you know, your life insurance needs and all of the stuff you need to have. And then they make the recommendations. So naturally they know who to call. And so from, from my standpoint, those have been a really good, um, you know, referral source for me as well. Talk, yeah. talk a little bit, if you will. And I look, I don't want you giving up the secret sauce, man. You know, I don't give up the secret sauce, so I would never ask you to do that. But but I do want you to talk just a little bit in broad strokes about how you built that strategic alliance network out. Because there's guys sitting in Chicago or Denver or other cities right now, that, and ladies for that matter, that have the opportunity to do that. I'm just interested in, in what the mechanics of that process look like. Okay. I, I'm never so, going to do it. I can tell you I'm not, but Kyle might. Sure. Well, there's there are financial advisors that we all know. So you may find some that you don't know in your local area via LinkedIn. But I would start with people that may be managing your folks' money. Or, and, or when you bring accounts on the books, ask them who's managing their money, right? I mean, that's right? one of the things we talk about in Killing, and it's something that I have always done when I bring a new account on. Like, people, if you're trying to build a network of channel partners to refer business to you, it is not complicated. Tony's going to talk to you about how you gain trust with these people and everything else, because part of what he does is working with captive agencies, not just like financial planners and everything else. There's there is a, a bit of uniqueness to how his network is set up. But what I can tell you is if you're looking just to build your channel partnership up, all you have to do is talk to your clients. Who does your taxes? Who's your attorney? Who does your payroll? Who does your credit card processing? Just ask these questions. And by the way, be slick about it. Don't be the schlep that goes in there <laughs> with a checklist and says, I've got 15 questions to ask of you. Please answer all of them. And then you ask them one at a time and write the names down. Ask it in conversation and then make notes in what I call my client profile so that I know who this happens with at all times. Here's what I know. If you've got a payroll person that's in and selling to one of your middle market accounts, they're probably selling to other middle market accounts. Find out who they are. Number one, I want them to refer me business. And if they're good enough to, to please one of my clients, I want to refer them to other clients that are experiencing pain. And guess what else I want to do? I want to get to know them so I can hire them and have them come work for me some, at some point. And that's what I got from your, pro, your previous podcast. And I, I call that the golden handcuffs too, because partnering with these other competitors of ours, they we put the handcuffs on the client. They have nowhere else to go when they have their Allstate agent and insurance solutions. We lock the door on our competition. So you just go back to you start with one. It's a simple, simple um, process. You connect with the one you know or the one that's working and serving your client, like you said, and then you 
ask them out for coffee or ask them out for, for breakfast and get to know them. It's a process. We're, we're here 53 years in the business. So it takes time, but you'll be amazed of how fast that grows because like our, our good middle market accounts, when we lose a CFO or controller, if you've done a good job, they'll take you with you, take you with them. So that's kind of the key is you do a good job for these guys and they'll talk about you to all their peers and colleagues when they go to their their special events and their awards are often the Bahamas celebrating and they're having a glass of wine. They're talking about, hey, how are you doing in business? What are you doing that's working? How is that working? My name gets brought up. As a result, I get phone calls saying, hey, I was referred to you by my my friend that's also in the business with me. And he said, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. You don't steal business. You take care of their clients. So you build a reputation of doing the right thing day in and day out. It's nothing special. It's a process uh, that you and I have our processes and we take them for granted because they seem so easy, but they're not. And I guess if it was easy, other people would have already done this. So I don't mind sharing um, as I watched my dad stand in front of a, a trade association that he was the president of in my local area. And lo and behold, two guys out of the 250 people in that room started developing that strategy and became competitors. Lovely. Right as he's retiring, he decides to spill the beans in my local area. But that's okay. This is a relationship business. So if they want to try those guys because they have to refer out three people, no problem. You just do a better job than those guys. You respond quicker. You thank them more. You go out of your way to to be helpful in other areas. It's not always about trying to win for you. It's trying to help them save an account. Because if we don't come in to help that account and the account goes on to Google and does some research, they're going to lose the entire risk to somebody like you and me. So it's much easier to put the golden handcuffs on them and not let them walk out the door for your partner. In turn, you'll have clients for life. Yes, we have situations where that 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 carrier has loosened up their underwriting restrictions and they've taken um, business back. But man, I can't for everyone to give back. They give me ten more. Right. I mean, they sent it to you to begin with. So my my overwhelming takeaway from this is that it's you know all about the relationship and and just doing the right thing and being trustworthy that's how you're gonna you know grow these referral relationships in, in your in your book in turn i think so. the secret sauce that i heard in all of this is that they're talking to each other right it's a whole lot easier for you to have inherent trust when somebody that like Look, I don't know who your referral partners are. I'm just going to say Jake from State Farm or whatever, right? Say you have a bunch of State Farm agents that you work with or whoever, and one of them, they're they're at a conference, and one of them says, hey, you need to know this guy because my business grew by X percent because I was not only able to get new business but also protected my book because of the relationship we have. I'm letting you know you can trust him. This guy's not going to go and do anything shady, try and take your business, undercut you, whatever else. Here's his name. Reach out to him. I'm happy to make an introduction if you prefer that. Dude, you're done. Right there. You're done. That relationship has happened. And now all you, it, it's yours to screw up at that point, in my opinion, because the person that you have taken care of, that you have helped grow their business, has set the table and, and set the expectations of that person for what you're going to deliver to them. Here's another one, David. I, I would go to your top performing referral partner as, as I have and say, hey, who do you know who, like you, is also winning these trips because they're an outstanding producer? I would like to get to know them. I don't want to get to know the newbie that's just struggling to feed his family because they don't have it built up yet. So look for other successful people like your clients that you've gone back to and and serve for the last decade. You want to get upmarket referrals, ask your biggest clients. And I do the same with my referral partners. I ask my very best, 
who has a bigger agency? Who's producing the most business out there? And our, our unique selling proposition is all about creating a win-win and protecting their book of business, helping them make more money. They're frustrated that they can only write X amount of business. So guess what? I tell them, hey, all those leads that come to you that you can't write, just give them our number. We'll take care of them. So not only do we get their clients, we get to take advantage of their national branding, their national marketing. They just keep their phones ringing like Christmas and so do mine because they just keep flipping them. They catch them and they toss the fish over to my boat. I grab them. We clean them up, bring them to market, bring them on board, close the business. Our closing ratios are much greater than 30 to 50%. We're closing 70, 80% of that business. Mm -hmm. For sure. Why do you think it's so hard for people to ask for referrals? Because they don't think they create value. They don't. They don't realize the value they. You're the create second person. You're the second person in their in customer relationship. Say, and they pretty don't much a similar out. thing. You said they don't think they create value. Somebody else that I talked to, I, I want to say it was on a podcast. Kyle said that they don't believe that producers believe in a value proposition that they're selling, or that they don't have one at all, or formalized. It, it just mm-hmm. blows my mind. You know what? Honestly, mm-hmm. I'll be the first one to yep. tell you, I could do a lot better job of going to my existing book and, and, and asking for referrals. I, I really think that the main reason no, why absolutely. I haven't is because I haven't had to. Shame on me. That needs to be scheduled. That needs to be a task that I'm constantly mm-hmm. doing over and over. But I've got, number one, most of them do a pretty good job of proactively referring stuff to me. So that probably takes some of that away. But then there's that other crew that I That's know I was gonna say. that I've done a really good job for that I've mm-hmm. had for 15 years. Why why have I not sat down and said, give me three people that you can introduce me to yep. in the course of the next 30 days that would help me build my business? Like, why am I not doing that? I'm with you. I'm guilty of it too. And it's an easy thing too. It's an easy conversation. I mean, especially if you've, uh, you know, done a great job for them. Like there's, there's no reason that they're going to, yeah, you're a nice guy, but I'm not <laughs> really going to take, yeah, I, don't, I don't really think so, man. Like, yeah. Right. Well, here's, here's a couple ideas. I think the, the best person to ask is, is the guy that you just stuffed tens of thousands of dollars back into his pocket by reducing his ex- experience mod, or as you've shared your strategy of going back in and, maybe getting them some reclassification on their, their, their business and getting a return premium for the last three years to the tune of 200,000. We did that for a client. The best time to ask for a referral is then because you've created a huge amount of value in that deposit and they have other friends that own manufacturing facilities like them or service businesses like them that have employees, which create pain and Mm -hmm. losses an opportunity for us. And we just proved ourselves. That's the very best time to go back after those guys. You're right. And perhaps for the 15 year old guy, which I'm guilty of too. And that's why I got to thinking about, okay, we're in COVID. What are we going to do? Are we just going to sit there and put our head in the sand? Or are we going to wake up and create a new plan? So I, I got with my sales team. I said, look, we need to build a moat strategy. And this came to me. And as you Dude, can tell, you've got I'm a Parthenon on word, with a moat around it already. That's one I mean, thing I learned from my dad is, you know, boom, yeah. it's the moat strategy. Hopefully so there's crocodiles day. in that piece. I only have so much time in my life and my day. So let's go after our top 50 accounts that generate 95% of our revenue. And we'll reactivate the, the ability to ask for referral because we're going to go after them and building a mode is all about connecting with them deeper, creating more value, reassessing where they're at, not even do insurance work, just get deeper in that relationship. Talk about their kids, their grandkids, their kids that are going off to school. Find out more about them now because I'm finding, and I think you've, you've said it before, that my clients want to have a deeper conversation right now than they've ever wanted to. So mm-hmm. now's the time to open up and get deeper and spend some time with them. And in turn, your value is going to grow. And you go back and deliver some of these tools that we've talked about and heard about in your previous podcast 
then you can go back out and say, okay, we, you know you've been intentional. Cheryl and I are, are going out on a quarterly basis. We're having Zoom calls, conference calls, touching base, doing stewardship reporting, doing all this work. Now we can go back and say, hey, we've, we've done all this for the last year. Who do you know who, like you, is your size or bigger? that I might be able to help and create you know what? value I'm, I'm sitting like you here said we've done for you my process this past year. I will do going forward as I'm listening to you talk. And one of the things that I think makes that successful is if you give that person time to prepare, number one. So I don't want to just pick up the phone and say, hey, give me three of the top people in your industry or whatever. I want them to be able to think through that. But also – um, make sure they understand there's a follow-up piece. So I really think what I'm going to do is incorporate it into the communication surrounding the mid-year claims review that I do for my clients, right? I'm going out six months. Let's look at the mid-year. Some clients I have on quarterly, but before that mid-year, they get an email. Here's the things I want to talk about. I, I send them an agenda of what we're going to talk about. And in that agenda, I can just say, look, one of the other things I'm going to do is we're trying to grow our company is I'm going to ask you to give me the names of three people you would feel comfortable introducing me to. I don't want names and numbers. I want to be walked in. I want to be, you know, have a lunch meeting, go to happy hour, whatever it is, play golf. I don't care. Whatever it is, I want those introductions. I don't want a referral. I don't want a reference. I don't want a name and a number. I want a booked appointment. That's gold. Booked appointments are gold. Nothing else matters. And so, I think it's one thing you said though is is crucial is is setting those expectations. Right, and I think you've got to do that. You can't just expect them to to know to do that. I I think that's important. We could even put that. We could automate that inside HubSpot if we wanted to. At the six month mark, just shoot your client an email, say, "Hey, your mid year claims review is coming up. The usual things are. are, We're going to talk about the usual things, but also I have one other thing I want to talk to you about. Set the table, and then when you get there, follow up with it again, and then go back to them and say, "Okay, Mm -hmm. those are three really good opportunities." When should I follow up to, to, to see about forward progress and getting in front of these people with you? It, it also does another thing too, for those uh, agents who may be, um, you know, hesitant to ask, like we were talking about before, whether, you know, they're just uh, don't think they're bringing value or whatever. It kind of eases them into that situation. Yeah. For, for I don't think anybody's ever going to come nudge, back to you. If you send them an email but, to preemptively prepare them for a conversation like that, they're going to write back and say, yeah, whole agenda looks great, but we're going to strike this referral part. I'm not going to, I'm not going to refer you to anybody that I'm just uncomfortable even having <laughs> yeah. that conversation. It's not going to happen. The bottom line is we get complacent. We get lazy. We don't ask the question. The question is easy. Somebody else ends up and goes and writes that account who never even knew we existed because we were too lame just to have a process and ask the question. That's the issue. Mm-hmm. You yep. nailed it. And, and it's finding out what that person likes to do. So you touched on golf. Not everybody likes the golf that is listening to this podcast. They may find out that by just asking simple questions. So, how did you get to know John? And and how he brings John's name up as a, a guy he'd like to refer us. Oh, John and I, we go have lunch once a week over here. Or there, well, would you mind? It would be I so paid much, for lunch, and it would be so much more I, awesome. I came if along. You just knew where just they were going to be and when, and you just sat there looking over the top of the menu at them from the booth next door, uh, next to them just stalking their whole lunch. But no, I, I agree with you, man. I, like none of this stuff is rocket science. Uh, it's it's not even street smarts. It's common sense. Like, look, you've been in the game 30 years, man. I know you got good tricks. I know you're not even going to share them with me. So I'm not going to ask you about them because there are certain things that I'm not going to share with everybody too. But, you know, this is just basic stuff, man. Like anybody should be able to figure this out. Right. Well, we all get busy. So one of the new tricks, and I'm not not ashamed to share. So I was thinking, heck, a lot of these insurance agents, as you've touched on before, are really freaking lazy, right? And they have big books of business, and that's why they're out enjoying life. And they're out and about, and they want to play golf, and they want to have a good time. Well, there's some of my highest producing agents are into golf. 
I'm into golf. So I figured, you know what? I really got to do a better job as part of my strategy and being intentional and creating value is taking this subset group of, of producers that all know each other golfing on us. And it's not about sharing them with a bunch of this and that and having them sit in a room for 20 minutes and me talk to them. No, just think about it. You have marketing reps all the time taking you here and there. You're hanging out. You're having fun. You're going for a cocktail, whatever. And you just want to make a deposit into their life. Do something that they like and say, thank you. Enjoy. Have a great day on me. You don't have to be with each one of them all the time and just take those guys out for a fun time. Yeah, it's going to cost a couple bucks, but it always comes back tenfold. So I haven't been really good about that. I see them once a year. I give them gifts at Christmas time. I give their girls that do all the referring gifts at Christmas time. But wait a second. What about mid-year? Just like our clients, you're doing the mid-year review. So having the same cadence, the same strategy, just like you can't forget what got you where you got with your wife. You got to continue to romance her, right? But you take her for granted and then they divorce you. So you got to do the same thing in all aspects of your life. You have to be intentional. You have to create value. And it's not about you. You got to figure out what, what's what's And understanding that, right? Because using your example, how I'd like to romance my wife may not necessarily be how she wants to be romanced. You know what I mean? You, you, you gotta, you gotta watch what you're, watch what you're doing. Are you going to get a quick backhand or a frying pan to the head? But listen, you know, the other thing too is I think that it's crucial. And, and this is something, you know, if I were to tell you things that I'm good at, I realize every agent's going to tell you they have really good relationships or they think they do. My relationships are deep. Like I know my clients, all sure. of my clients, if, if I look at the core book of my business on a very personal level, know their kids' names. I go to their graduations, birthday parties. They've, I've been to their house. They've been to my house. I mean, it's true friendship and we continue to execute for them. And the business is really secondary. The relationship's there. I mean, it, it's good. What I think people, but where I think people miss the boat is how you build that? How do you start building that relationship? How do you get that person's trust? How do you get them to be willing to release the most important thing that they can possibly release to you, which is either their client or their relationships and trust that it's going to get done. Anytime that I meet with somebody who's going to be a potential referral partner, 100% of the time, my first question is, hey, I really appreciate you getting together with me. I wanted to hear more about you. Robert over at Aero Simulation is very high on you. He told me that he gets his payroll services from you and that you've done a bang up job for them. I appreciate people who take care of my clients and I want to help them. And I have other clients that probably could use your services. Tell me how I can help you grow your business. I don't want it to be about me. I don't want any, I don't want anything at all to come out of my mouth that would lead them to believe that I was there for selfish reasons. Truthfully, I'm not. If all I do is find a better payroll solution and I fix my clients' problems, I've already won. If I get business out of it, then that's just a bonus to me. But I think too many times we're so used, you know, I'm not a big believer in networking groups as far as formalized networking groups go. Number one, they're cultish, they're obnoxious. They make me get up far too early in the morning to go and hang out with these people. If I'm going to be up that early, I'm going to be at Orange Theory or somewhere else doing something that in my mind is more productive, but it's forced. It's not a real relationship. And while I understand that it works to a certain degree, I'd put my network up against a formalized networking group any day of the week and promise you I'm getting tenfold what I would ever get from something like that. You have to be genuine in your approach. You have to be approachable. You have to appear trustworthy and, and just be, just be um, subdued. Don't go in expecting everything to work out perfectly on the first meeting. But if I can go in and talk to somebody and lead that conversation with, tell me what I can do to help you grow your business. I can assure you that if that person is any good at all at sales, they're going to ask you the same question before the meeting's over. And if they're no good at sales, they're going to sit there and tell you all the things you can do to help them and never offer reciprocity, which means 
probably not going to be a good referral, referral partner for me because you've already proven to me in the course of this very informal conversation that it's all about you. Even though my goal is to make it all about them, let me make it all about them. Don't make it all about yourself. Well, the other, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. And the way you become a trusted advisor isn't by trying to peddle product. And it's about getting deep and getting to know where they're at, where they're going, and who do you know who can help them get there. And making those deposits to help them get what they want, you do that enough times, people are going to be blowing your phone up wanting to help you out. It just it just happens. The law of reciprocity happens. I guess that's really the secret that's not a secret. You just follow the same process. You just go out of your way to serve other people, and it will come back tenfold. I know we've heard it a million times, but when I look back at those successful relationships I received, it wasn't by leading my my local networking group for five years like I did, and all I got was home and auto leads. When I stood up in front of the group, I was the leader of the group and told them, I help business owners protect what matters most, their blood, sweat, and tears. I'm good for business referrals, and all I got, because they had to give me two referrals every week, they threw me a home or auto deal. So I left that because I got up and sacrificed my time away from my kids when they were little to do this kind of stuff to grow my business. And you're spot on it. That didn't work. In hindsight, when I looked at this whole COVID thing, I was, I, I was, and I still am looking for a, a better way, a different way. Um, clearly, I see that what got me here is is good, and it's I'm grateful. Because we have so many different industries that we serve, so we're not hurting uh, financially like maybe some others that that maybe specialize in restaurants, and now the restaurants are all dying, and in turn the ripple effects are not going to make as much money. But just going out there and helping helping others in turn will come back tenfold to to, to help you out. So getting out there, getting new ways. I, I learned that this this way that I'm doing it is maybe a hybrid. Continue doing what's working, but let's look at upping the game and and doing some of these direct marketing, digital marketing. I've tried digital marketing in the past. It's just been really expensive, and I haven't mastered that. Um, I, I still see that there's opportunity there, but my best clients, my best staff didn't come from the insurance industry. You talked about this in another podcast. As I look to grow my business, I'm sitting here looking back and say, what got... What worked, it wasn't networking groups and it wasn't stealing employees from my competitors. It's growing people organically and truly pouring into their life, giving them an opportunity, creating value for them that they didn't see. They they bounced around from job to job and didn't have a career opportunity. I don't think any one of us, especially you and I that got in this business, I got in it because a family thought that, boy, I'm going to grow up and be an insurance agent. But mm-hmm. in hindsight, I'm glad I did. It's recession-proof. It's essential. It's a good business to be in. So you mentioned that when you started, it was personal lines for you. And then it seems like, you know, obviously in conversation here, you've talked about the commercial aspect of things. Was there a transition for you? I know you mentioned in the nineties, you kind of, there was, you know, a little bit of a uh, thing there with, you know, working with payroll companies and all that, but was there something that happened or was it always part of the business and you just kind of like, what what did that look like? Uh, um, I'll I'll never forget the the day. There was a time. So, I was riding home in auto. When you're 18 years old, it's hard to get a business owner that's established to trust you, right? Mm-hmm. You're just young. And my dad had a program where he had the pin for it for an insurance company. And back in the day, it was like 1988, if I could take you back to, to that day. He wasn't you're, even born you're probably yet, man. Newborn. I would, but I would, for me, <laughs> I was born in exactly. Def I was a, a No, Def that's Leopard bullshit. I was born in 88. Poison and all of that back then. Ah, love it. Big hair. So check it out. So I've been in the business five years at that point. And my dad said, I've got this video store program, right? Video stores. You guys, people listening, like, what are those? But I'm telling you, 
there was a video store on every corner. Oh, dude, on Friday nights going to like Blockbuster or Hollywood Video and Listen, getting to I pick remember out like video game or a movie for the weekend. The video the store best. when we didn't have enough money to own a VCR. So we had to rent the VCR for the weekend and it came with a suitcase handle and it looked like one of those spy suitcases. And that was like a red letter <laughs> payday weekend for us. We'd get like three or four videos and, and rent the VCR for the weekend. And that was it. We were, we were hot stuff at that point. I'm telling you, and th- these, this business was um, run I mean, it, it was before Blockbuster was even around. It was independence, a bunch of independents. And they um, were foreign uh, by descent, and they were all family members. And they would own like five and ten of them. And, and their, their, their cousin and their brother, they owned five and ten of them. And before you know it, I had the pen for this program. I, I worked from 12 when they opened up at noon till 9 o'clock at night going to every video store up and down the, the boulevards. On, and I call my business card cold calling strategy. And I forgot all about this cold calling strategy until listening to Dave. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what I used to do. I used to go in with nothing but my business card in one pocket, a pin in my pocket. I go up there and ask to see if the owner was there. And I'd ask him, when does their insurance come up for renewal? And I start writing on the back of their business card, GL, BA for business auto, WC for comp. And I got all these X dates. And before you know it, I didn't have time to even X date anymore because I was so busy getting referred around to all the family members. I was writing this stuff like crazy. I had over a thousand video stores insured in several wow. years. And we had to type on a typewriter our proposal. Listen, I remember they used to have was, to type the insurance. I can't even imagine awesome. back then. But we were. And the certificates. Yeah, it's, that's oh my craziness. God. What a nightmare. It's, it's, oh my gosh. I'll, I'll, I'll so never that was the turning point for you. You started, you, you just rolled up in some video stores and you're like, here we go. Oh yeah. And you do a, you do a good job for these guys. And then, and I'm telling you folks that are, are from foreign descent, they are networking mad dogs, man. Mm-hmm. You take care of them. They will refer you like crazy because you're trusted, and trust mm-hmm. is king. Yep, trust is king, and, and kind of the theme of our conversation today. The theme, looking back, is just in yeah, every aspect. So you here's have the to thing, man. Thirty years in the industry, agency's been around over fifty. You got a lot of people out there who have nowhere near that level of experience. What would you tell them? the worst thing is that you've ever had to deal with in your career in insurance? Oh gosh. I'm, I'm sure you kind of going back to the beginning of the conversation. I was new in the business, started writing commercial 26 years young. I don't have any kids yet. I'm single. And I started writing manufacturers. And I wrote some pretty big size manufacturers. We had a market out here that was, they would write stuff that no one else wanted to write and for big premiums. So this this one manufacturer, I wrote them, business went sideways on them, and it was agency bill. And I said, Dad, he's going to pay. It's $10,000 in premium per month. And he's into me one month. He's one month behind. I said, no, he's good for it. He's got a big, big operation. Two months go by. Three months go by. Now he's into me for 30 some odd dollars. And my dad came to me and said, son, that's your money, not mine. And I'll never forget, still to this day, that file sat on my desk for years. I showed up at his doorstep at 6 a.m. every day to collect my money. Good morning, Carl. Here's a cup of coffee. Today's the day. Pay up. I don't care if you got a thousand bucks, three thousand dollars, and I collected that thirty thousand dollars. It was the most challenging thing I ever had to do. But we make things so simple for our kids that th- we need to make things difficult because at first it was difficult, and because that I'll never forget it. 
and I don't let accounts receivable like you. It turned me into a well. I mean, listen, man, Soprano it's, it's bad, I and I think that that's money. a pitfall that a lot of people that are new to commercial and specifically excess and surplus lines don't realize. You know, is that you start getting involved in minimum premiums and minimum earned premiums and minimum audited premium and all the different nuances that go into this. You could lose your shirt in a hurry, you know, and then for us, you, the, the learning experience that we've had at Florida Risk is we really have to pre-qualify who we're going to allow to be on a service fee and who we're not. Because when you, you know, I think that a lot of people out there who hear us, hear me talk about and, and hear Kyle talk about putting an account on a service fee, that sounds sexy to them, right? Because they've never done it before. They know you can do that in lieu of commission. but it's not right because it's definitely not sexy when you have a company who owes you over a hundred thousand dollars worth of service fee that is domiciled literally in Bulgaria and signed a contract with you that they welched on, didn't pay the money. And then three weeks ago I get bankruptcy papers in the mail, right? There's a hundred thousand dollar write-off. If I'm lucky it didn't put me out of business, you know, but those things happen. Some maybe it's not a hundred thousand for some people. It could be five. When you first start your agency, depending on how you're capitalized, you're one ENS account going south away from shutting your doors. You know, and the same thing holds true with chargebacks. You have these right. companies that are paying the annualized commissions out on the front end. I've got to believe there are a lot of agencies with some significant heartburn right now. Um, you know, with policies that have expired and been audited during COVID. And now all of a sudden they got to pony up a bunch of commissions they were paid. They may or may not have accounted for. That's scary to me. So on the flip side, and that's a good one, man. I've, I've been it through exactly, not necessarily the same thing. You did better than I did. You went every day and eventually collected the money. I would be more like an atomic bomb. I would show up one time, just go absolutely nuts, throwing somebody into the crossface crippler to get my money back and then call it a day. But what is, what's the one piece of advice that you would give anybody that's coming into the industry? What's the one piece of advice? If you go out and hire a producer for your agency right now, what's the one piece of wisdom you impart on them that you think is vital to anybody who's going to be successful in this industry? Well, I, I think that um, I have to look back at what worked for me. Become a specialist. Find something you like and love and specialize in it and be the best at it. And if you're the best at it, you'll be able to own that vertical. You'll own it. And, heck, I started working. I didn't get commission when I started out. I, I, I got a desk, a oh. telephone. Yellow pages. I mean, I had to go to Contact Influential at the library and, and use a razor blade to carve out my prospecting list. I didn't have any money. And I had to work at night at restaurants. And I worked to, to pay my rent and to pay my insurance. I was 18, 19, 22, 25. I, I didn't have a book of business. So as a result, I wasn't getting referrals from my dad. He was taking all the referrals. So as a result of that, I... I figured I knew restaurants. I'll start going after restaurants. So like you and you're in the grocery business, you knew, you knew that and you knew landscaping. So you go after what you know and get really, really good at it. And then you pivot. You don't just stay. Thank God today with restaurants and COVID uh, we write a lot of restaurants, no doubt, but you, you got to pivot. You got to augment your book back to Parthenon, build multiple pillars to hold the sub, the superstructure called the roof to keep things balanced. You have to have multiple, but you have to start somewhere. So start with what you know and then get an education on insurance. I didn't jump in and get my CIC the first year. I didn't even know the first thing about it, commercial insurance and actually sold like crazy. So you don't have to be great at insurance. Even today, when I look back at my client meetings, Hardly do we talk about insurance. We talk about a bunch of other things that are important to them. And in turn, we get the renewal. We stay intact. We, we keep the coverage moving forward. It's about talking about what's important to them. 
And yes, there's a few things strategically and tactically I talk about in those meetings that are that are important that are going on, lawsuits that we're seeing, stories I'm going to tell. And it's by sharing real life stories that you and I see in our books of business, claims that are coming through that are covered or uncovered, that we get our clients to expand their relationship with us. But it's through storytelling. And I learned that from my dad. If I learned anything from him, sitting across the desk from him, was listening to him talk to his clients. So getting in the business, get with a, an agency that you can partner with that has some expertise in it and listen to the principal. Listen to how he takes care of or speaks to his clients. Why are they success, successful? Why have they been in business so long? And understand some of those nuances and, and, and techniques or the secret sauce there and implement it. But for me, it was finding stories that relate to what's going on today that they may have a fatal coverage gap in and share with them how this coverage might positively impact them. Talk in a story that's meaningful to them. Don't tell them a story that you need an umbrella when it's not raining outside. They don't, they don't, that's like talking insurance ease. It may be raining claims tomorrow when you're going to need an umbrella, but you need to paint the picture. So when your employee jumps in your van and hit somebody in a crosswalk because they're too busy texting. Who do you want to pay that claim? You or me? Mm-hmm. Well, what is your company worth? How much can you be sued for? How much can you lose? Oh my God, we're worth twenty million dollars. Well, sounds like do you want me to do you want me to write that check or do you want to write that check? And then all we do is we put a plan in place that writes the check. We didn't say you need an umbrella. No one's going to buy an umbrella until they understand what it's useful for. Agreed. All right, Kyle, you've got a couple years under your belt. What kind of sage wisdom would you give anybody? What, what would you say the number one piece of advice you would give to somebody coming into this industry after, you know, after you've been doing it now a couple of years, what's that look like? Sage wisdom. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but. Um, Man, I'm sorry. The beard I- throws me off. It makes you look. <laughs> you are. That's true. That is very true. Um, I, I think it it's it's all about just like not being afraid to work. That's that's what's always worked for me. Like you know, in in anything, you can be successful if you're willing to go and put one foot in front of the other and just go make it happen for yourself. You'll learn tricks along the way. You'll develop your own secret sauce and all that. But I mean, it's it's about just either picking up the phone, doing it, going out, dropping in on, on people and, and just having as many conversations as possible. I think that, um, a lot of times, especially with the, the newer age, people just kind of expect it to be handed to them. Um, and it's just going to happen. You got to go and make it happen for yourself. Well, and you know, I, I think, you know, I've always said the same thing. There's always going to be somebody smarter. There's always going to be somebody that dresses better. There's always going to be somebody better looking. There's always going to be somebody that's got more skill in the sales game. But I can promise you this. There is nobody on the face of this earth that will ever outwork me. They might work Mm -hmm. as much as me, but I will never admit that there's somebody that's willing to work harder. And it's been that way my entire adult life in working. So in the spirit of holding holding to uh, what we've been talking about and also being cognizant of the fact we've been going an hour and need to wrap up. My advice is real simple. Don't forget where you came from, period. You know, you need to work hard. You need to do all of the things you need to do from a uh, mentorship and, and learning from other people's standpoint. But if you're in this business and you're have, you have any level of success whatsoever, there's going to come a point where you have two choices. You can either be an arrogant prick or you can remember where you came from. And I can tell you right now is somebody who has been so dirt poor that not only was I living off of boxed mac and cheese and ramen noodles, but if I heard three beeps from the garbage truck backing up in the middle of the night or in the morning, I'd be running to the front door to see if it was my car getting repoed. You know, it, it, when I was just trying to make ends meet. And so you have to take that level of ex- of life experience with you everywhere you go and you don't need to dwell on it but you don't need to forget it you need to use it as motivation and fuel to carry you to the next level 
I don't share that story because it's funny or because I want anybody listening to this to think that that's a great experience in life. I share that story because the law of large numbers tells me that there are people listening to us right now that are in that position and you're going to be okay. If you're willing to work hard, if you're willing to follow directions, if you're coachable and truly willing to learn this industry and you put the effort into it, you're going to be just fine. I don't know of very many agency owners that I've talked to out there that haven't had to struggle before they got to the point where things were good. You just have to remember that you went through that because otherwise you're part of the problem, not part of the solution. Amen. Well, listen, with that, we're going to wrap up, dude. Tony, we're going to have to have you come back on, man. I mean, an hour flew by. This was great. Yeah. Um, you know, you might have thought I wasn't paying attention to you, but I was. I was actually posting a screenshot on social media and telling everybody, call this man the reverend because he's taking us to church. So I hope you're uh, – <laughs> Hope you're ready for an influx of people to reach out to you to just you know dwell off of your draw off of your experience a little bit. Tell them where to find you, brother. Because well, you know can they're find me come. at Tony at ins-solutions.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, Tony Alessandra. I'm only one of a few. The other one is a professional motivational speaker, which uh, I don't believe I qualify for. But I, I would say that's either LinkedIn or there. You could also call me at my direct line nine four nine three four eight. 2000 949-348-2000. And David, I have to take my hat off to you. Thank you very much for what you do for each and every one of us because it was because of what you do and your passion to give back to this industry is how we got connected. And, and it fuels my fire 38 years in this business. I feel fired up every day, as you know, because I call you when I'm walking, listening to podcasts, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, that was so epic. I'm so fired up. It is the power of the network. I, I had to I had to train I had to train him because he's just getting ramped up when I'm winding down for the night. I'd get a text <laughs> at like 9 30. I'd roll over because you know, Tony, when you turn 45, you have three bathroom breaks in the middle of the night. That's like a prerequisite, right? So I'd I'd roll over to go take my bathroom break and I'm like nine four. Oh, it's Tony. He must be, you know, he must have listened to a podcast or something. But listen, man, I appreciate that. In in true, just so that you know. I know who connected us and my podcast with Walt is going to drop this coming Monday. Kyle wasn't on that one because I recorded it while he was out with uh, his wife having their baby. And so uh, I'm looking really forward to that. That I, I sent Walt a message earlier today and told him that that was a, that's of all of the episodes I've recorded. That was one of my favorite because he caught me completely off guard. That guy went, we went, deep into workers comp and I wasn't expecting it. I didn't realize that his background in the insurance side of things was as big as what it was. I wanted to talk with him about marketing on LinkedIn and personal brand and all of that. Next thing you know, we're talking about total cost of risk and indirect claims costs. And he ran a self-insurance fund in Colorado. I don't know if you knew that or not, but you know, this won't, this episode won't air before his does. So it's not really foreshadowing, but I'm telling you stay tuned because it's coming and it'll drop Monday. It's a really, really good one. Everybody else. We are out. We'll see you soon. See you. See you. You've been listening to the power producers podcast. You can follow killing commercial insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, the extra two minutes and our website, killingcommercial.com